Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Talking Country with Brad and Chansey. I'm one of your hosts, Brad Vosselin, and I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine, Chansey Lewis. Hello, everyone. Chansey here. Happy to be here, Brad. Thank you. Today's a great day to be alive. Thank you once again for everybody out there listening to to me and my good friend Chansey. Uh, I realize that being though this is our first episode, it's probably just our moms. <laughs> I yeah. don't know, Chansey, if your mom knows I listen to a podcast. I don't know if mine does or not. No, that, mine doesn't even know what a podcast is, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I may have to go over to her house and teach her how to do it just so we got somebody to listen to this first episode. Dang uh, right, once we get past the awkward part. <laughs> yeah, once we get past that part right there. Uh, but in case you're wondering who me and Chansey are, for those of you who don't know us, we grew up in a, a little small farming community uh, on the outskirts of a town in central Texas known as Cameron, Texas, the home of the yeoman. Uh, me and Chansey both went to high school there, and, and uh, we've been friends, man, Chansey, I guess. since Way the, back. What, since the third grade, I guess? Yeah, third grade. Is that when you moved to Cameron from Buckholz? No, I was in fourth grade. Oh, fourth grade. So fourth grade. Mama was a teacher there in Buckholz, and she taught fifth and sixth grade. And so after fourth grade, she didn't want me as a student. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so that's what sent me to become a yeoman. Chancy going From to a school. Buck Oats Badger. Going to school with you, I totally understand your mom's thought on that. Yes, huh? absolutely. I, you I, know? They could yeah. probably ask Mr. Hanky or, or one of our ag teachers that we spent so much time with throughout what? our days. Uh, Buck Oats is a little town right outside of Cameron, and uh, my mom taught there also for years and years along with Chancy's mom. We actually grew up in a little community outside of those two towns. And uh, me and Chansey rode the same bus together. Sure. Yeah. We were in the Blackland Prairie. We were in the Blackland Prairie farm country, of Texas. We sure were. So good farm country in central Texas, Vertisol land, and all interspersed with creeks. So we ran the creeks and the cornfields and, you know, rode the school bus back and forth together. We dang sure did. My dad was actually a farmer out there in a little community called Marock or Marksville, as some people know it. Uh, it's a little Czech community out there. And Chansey grew up in Yarrowton, a little community right next to us. He had family who had property out there that, that had woods and ponds and creeks and stuff on it that we would go hang out at and build campfires and all that Camp kind of out, stuff. yeah. yeah I'm, go I'm, fishing. I mean, remember, we'd go set lines in the creek, oh, little drop lines, throw lines. Man, we sure did. Yeah, remember when we had that one hole in the creek right there and uh, – we had just bought a, I'd never used a cast net or something, and neither had you, but we were casting that hole. I don't know if it's even legal, but we were cast netting that hole, and we were catching all kinds of catfish and gar and everything out of there with that cast net. Oh, that dang. was the beauty of Big Elm Creek. It was such a small creek, but, man, it would produce if you got in the right hole. I mean, tell you, we found where they were at, like, especially the right time of the year when the water quit flowing and they were all trapped where they were. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't nothing in them holes but mud cat, uh, uh, gar, and uh, sometimes you catch a largemouth bass, yeah. crawfish. Anything and cockleburs, yeah. For cockleburs were part of it in the summertime. I mean, <laughs> tell you, they were tough to get out of our cast net back in the day. Yeah, sticks, everything. <laughs> me, me and Chancy, we uh, we actually rode the bus together as habit, and we were the first ones picked up in the morning, and the last last ones, ones get dropped off. Get dropped. You were the last. I was second to last. I was dead last. Yes, man. dead yeah, last. I mean, tell you, that, luckily the uh, we had a pretty good relationship with our school bus drivers because we spent more time with them than we spent with our parents pretty much because they were almost like free daycare i guess at that point or a two-hour bus ride home every day they really were i mean watch we wouldn't get home till man i remember didn't have very much time to run traps in the evening especially with the time change i remember that i'd get off the school bus and run and be dark trying to check traps at night well let, let me tell you a little story <laughs> about chancy with his school bus riding and checking traps and stuff late in the evening 
I'll never forget when he got in the bus one morning with skunkier. Oh, God. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, that was our freshman year in high school. Miss Lyles was? said, yeah, I yeah. got sprayed by a skunk. <laughs> and Miss Lyles, and that was our homeroom class, Miss Lyles. You remember Miss Lyles? You know, she worked at Bullock sometimes oh, at night. Oh, I yeah. remember her very well. Yeah. You didn't make it past the bus, though, did you? Well, no, they took me there. She didn't. She called Miss Three immediately. That was with Mr. Flynn. and Because at first... What she did was she started spraying potpourri all in the high school, oh. you know, and then, it, man, it just, it didn't mask it. <laughs> so <laughs> no. now you just smelled terrible skunk smell and potpourri. Chancy, that was. Yeah, uh, so she did the intercom, called Miss Threat, and they sent me down to the office, and they wouldn't even let me in the door. Mr. Flynn just shook his head and said, go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you, yeah. you ain't going to believe this. <laughs> our freshman year was probably, what, close to 28, 29 years ago now? It was in 94, right? It was in 94. 94, yeah. 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 Isn't that crazy? Wow, man. I, I mean, time has really flown by since then. Yes, lots have changed in the wildlife world and in the ag producing world since then. Well, you know, I remember hog hunting as a kid. Yeah. I mean, hog hunting, I don't know if it was new to this area back then or if it was new to me. It was new statewide up into the early 90s, I'll tell you. Even in Milam County, there was a few hogs in the early 90s, and they were stuck to across the river in the post oaks and the yopons. You know, they just didn't occur in the black land, and thank goodness they didn't. You know, the farmers in the early, early 90s, it wasn't until the mid-90s that they really started exploding. And, uh, I wonder like, why that is. Why they started exploding? I wonder why it is that, that like, now they're everywhere. They're in neighborhoods. Well, they've had a lot of help there. from people. Oh, it's one of the main right? reasons, yeah. And it's illegal to transport hogs, but um, a lot of people still do it. You know, they yeah. do. You know, now they don't have to because they occur. I don't know. When I work for Extension, I think they occurred in every single county in Texas except maybe one of them in the far west Texas and one way up in the panhandle by New Mexico. Now they're everywhere. They occur in deserts. And they've had a lot of help, unfortunately, Yeah, getting there. I mean, number one, they are very prolific, but they've had some help, unfortunately. Get, yes, they have there. indeed had that. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember being in high school, and me and Chancy, Chancy would ask me. He said, "Hey, do you want to go hog hunting? I have some dogs. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Flacco and Lacey. Yeah, Flacco and Lacey. Yeah, Chancy had Flacco and Lacey." Uh, 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 two, two. One was a really good dog. Yeah, Flacco was. He was a plot. He, he was, was a plot hound, and then Lacey was a little blue Lacey that I gotten from uh, some stock out of Jay Rossi and even Tom Graham, the late Tom Graham, who, uh, you know, some of those Lacey dogs. Uh, in the blue Lacey world, it's a very small world in Texas. And um, but uh, the hound that I had, I had gotten from my older brother who had trained him immensely in uh, the hill country in Utopia when he was in high school. And then when he moved off to Tucumcari to do, he was, he's a blacksmith, Tylen, my oldest yeah, brother, yeah. does his horseshoe. And he moved off there, he gave me his dog, and he had trained him so well. That dog really spoiled me. He was an incredible strike dog, and he was he was just one of those dogs. If there was a hog in the woods, he would find it. You know, Man. he was a great strike dog. So he spoiled me very, really bad at a young age of having a good dog. Dog. We, we had some fun with him too, didn't we? We did have <laughs> lots of fun with that dog. Yep. I, we took him through every patch of woods that you could think of, I think, around Cameron, Texas. Yeah, all along the creeks on Big Elm Creek, anything, anywhere we could get permission. And the one place we always hunted that we loved to was, I was 
I guess Miss Slavics, right? Marlene's? Yeah, or? we went down yeah. there a lot. Uh, that uh, was always good hunting down uh, there. Back then, we knew all our neighbors. Yes, and I all mean, the neighbors knew us, and oh. everybody hated hogs. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dude. a good combination for a high school kid with hog dogs. It really was. We got a lot. Nobody liked hogs, you know, and they just wanted them gone, you know. And a lot of times, the damage they were doing, a lot of the landowners didn't even know what was happening. I remember, hey, something's digging up my pasture, or, you know. I mean, in God's <laughs> honest truth, like, I don't never, like, uh, you know, all the, all the nights and days and my dad had me out in the cornfields and stuff with him i never remember there being a, a corn stalk broken over from a hog back then no like i mean not even a little bit mm-hmm. i mean no damn it there was no deer really there was not money deer no not no, back I'm, then not back then there sure wasn't i i guess all we had was skunks coons possums and, and coyotes i like to trap coyotes and, too and coyotes, yeah, yeah that was yeah. fun trapping coyotes uh and you know every now and then i'd be calling coyotes down there in your Elton, you know across from mr youngman's on my uncle's place uh Ken used to have and uh I remember the first time I thought it was coyotes coming to my call and it was uh what it was was deer but I didn't know I'd never seen it, it was a buck running a doe and he came running across the pasture running right by me and this was back when nobody hunted out there man and I there were some big deer out there there wasn't a whole lot of them but man they were big they were in those fertile soils of the black land prairie along those creeks and there was good food out there not much hunting pressure and the deer got really really big back they, then. boy they did back they then. did there were some really good deer killed in the 90s in, in that country. And it still grows big deer, but hunting pressure so much. Uh, you know, hunting you know, pressure is probably what increased uh, but three, 400 fold probably out there. At least. And, you know, those deer are running a gauntlet too because they're traveling up and down the creek. And so many of those properties are long and narrow and go straight to the creek to give access to water. You know, that's just kind of oh, the yes. way they sell it. So, you know, there's deer can literally go 100 yards and running into a different you know, oh, yes. deer, so you may deer not, stand every every uh, hundred yards. You, you so. may not be familiar with like the 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 geography around our area if if if, if you're not from this area. Uh, but uh, where me and Chancy were, uh, it's the black dirt out there stretches from where Dallas, I guess, and we're pretty yeah. much the edge of it. Yeah, the blackland blackland eco region of Texas. Yeah, we're in the very southern tip, you know, of that part. There's some along San Antonio, a little small, but and you know. And the other side of the county is a post oak savanna. So. It is, mm-hmm. and it, so is what's unique about our area here, where we're at, is uh, you've got farming and row crops on one side of the little river. Yes, sir. Uh, you cross the little river, it turns into more of a, a sandy soil. Yeah, sandy land didn't get farmed much. No, it's uh, it was a historically it was a savanna land, post oak, blackjack oak, Texas hickory, savanna, little blue stem underneath it. But through lots and lots and lots of just land use changes, whether it be overgrazing, undergrazing, lack of fire, whatever you name it, it's transitioned that into more of a post oak woodland which dominated by un- yopon understory stuff like that yes and there now you cross the river over there if you think we have hogs bad yes on our side of the river in the black dirt we, we don't have the cover on our side of the river that that they have across the river over there with 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 all the trees yes and, and underbrush and all that kind of uh, all the things and i imagine i imagine a, a hog's nose get pretty sore in the summertime out in that oh yeah there. dang right it's like that's why we don't have gophers in those vertisols they just yes. they need four-wheel drive to dig through there <laughs> they can't get through but you're absolutely right because in the summertime the hogs move all into the 
great black land, you know, because the corn is covered. Oh, corn man, and Milo, they, they move it in them fields. But then come wintertime, all the cropland's gone. Them hogs start moving across the river back into the post oak. That's what I'm doing right now is trapping hogs because December and January is when I trap most of the hogs. because They're moving for cover over there. They're moving at. for cover and then all the acorns. You know, there's tons of acorns. All the pin, well, I call them pin oaks. They're actually water oaks. All the water oak acorns and the post oak acorns and the blackjack acorns are all dropping. You know, they drop at different times, but a lot of, a lot of water oaks are dropping and they move in there and they get fat off them acorns and they can be harder to trap them but when once the acorns wear out they get a lot easier to trap oh and see uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, over there where we're at in the black dirt we you gotta look pretty hard to find any kind of a of an acorn oh yeah uh, the few and far between there's some pecans they like those they do like the pecans uh, you know uh, around here that's getting to be more commercially pecan trees are, are becoming a uh, uh, crop around here. I mean, a lot of people are planting pecan sure, trees. Sure, doing well. Too. And, and doing really well out mm-hmm. there uh, where they have the water for it. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, but again, me and Chancey, you know, we grew up together uh, running those woods out there uh, with some other friends of ours. Sure. Uh, we used to hunt that whole big Elm Creek out there. We would start on one bridge and, yeah. and let the dogs start out. Start at Miss Lovick's right we, there. We'd call all the landowners, you know, the day before and, and uh, tell them, hey, this is Brad and Chancey, you know, and we're going to, is it okay if we run our dogs through your place, you know, chasing hogs or whatever? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they'd be like, sure, go right ahead, you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, since then, the places have become smaller and different landowners uh, from all over absentee the United States. Landowners, yeah. Absentee, absentee landowners, yeah. Absentee landowners was a big yeah. one, yeah, absolutely. Uh, deer hunting has changed a lot of that stuff. Uh, Milam County has become a deer county. It has. People are mo- moving to Milam County big time, you know, or not moving. They're moving here, of course, but also hunters. There's more and more outside hunters. That come to Milam County and hunt. Yes, you know? it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And and uh, uh, we would always we would let the dogs out on one bridge. And I don't know how many miles it was up the the creek. I don't from, know from that county road we let out on all the way to FM twenty two sixty nine. Yeah, uh, that cut through the heart of our land out there. But it would take us all day long. All day to long. hunt it. Yeah, all yeah. day long. And usually we always struck a really good hog that 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 real thick spot of Miss Slavics, you know. But that was back back then. We just didn't have the dog power, you know. We didn't have catch dogs, and all we had was two bay dogs that were really good at baying. Yeah. But if there was a big, big hog, and us trying to sneak up to that hog, learned, you know, and well, we he would get have, away. We did have some crazy friends and weren't scared to go and grab hold of a hog. Oh, we yeah. didn't have no dog on them. Oh, yeah. No, I know. They jumped right in the middle of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Chancey was always the were... guide. He, he, knew, he, knew, he knew hog hunting. He knew wildlife, and he knew the, he knew the terrain, and. <laughs> And uh, uh, I was there for a good time and to carry stuff. Oh, well, the my best memory that I've got of hunting on that one place is we had struck that big hog. I was telling you, we ran that hog several times and never did kill him. But before we struck him for the first time, we had already killed a good sow. And, you know, she was just a good, fat, rascal, 100-and-something-pound sow. And um, we had gone ahead and took the back straps out of her, and you were carrying the back straps on each of your shoulders, big old back straps. And we are headed back to the truck, and that old dog, he struck. Man, I'm like, whoa. And, you know, I could tell I knew my dog well enough. Like, every now and then, like on a really big hog, you could just tell because he bark, bark, bark. And sometimes, you know, when he's striking, maybe that hog stand up and just, you know, I could tell his bark was a little bit different, you know, kind of like a little booger bark was like, whoa, man, this <laughs> may be a little bit bigger hog than I suspected that just jumped up out of this bed. But anyway, that hog only stayed bait for a little bit and he broke and he didn't know we were there. We were walking down that power line utility line. And you were in dogs. front of me. We two, two dogs. dogs. Yeah. yeah. We yeah, had two dragging them out. And then here comes this big hog and he's fixing across right where Brad's walking. And it was 
was a big hog. He come running out across, dogs behind him, and Brad's like, "Gosh, did y'all see that hog?" You know, and we did. We couldn't stop him. The hunt was on. Those dogs ended up chasing him all the way to the flats, the old dairy. Oh yeah, from we could hear the dogs forever. Yeah, and then they never. So finally, yeah, the hunt was over for us. And nobody the, had a tracking collar. No, back then. that was back when you drove from county road to county road, <laughs> hollering, screaming, leave your coat out in the woods, come back the next day, hoping your dogs there. Yeah, uh, we had no idea where those. We knew they went down creek, but where they stopped, no one would know. Man, I remember, I remember those days well. Sometimes we, uh, uh, sometimes we could blame staying up all night on looking for Chancey's dogs. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yes, yeah. we I don't could. We were looking for his dogs or not? No, we called every now and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess that's looking for dogs. Yeah, it is think. because that was the good old days, you know, when you had to go call your buddies up or something like that. You actually had to drive into town to Pizza Hut and use the payphone. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. yeah, you yeah. know, that was. I remember my first bag phone when I went to college. <laughs> yeah. It was like, what, 75 cents a minute, probably, uh, something like that? No telling, man. Yeah, I no. didn't have one in high school, though. No, 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 it, no phones. I mean, you just, that was back when people communicated. And you're like, okay, everybody, let's meet at the parking lot at, you know, dark. That's about all you could do. <laughs> yep. Yep, it sure was. Isn't that something how things have changed? Sure that was. Man, mm. yeah, that was living right, though. It was. Yeah. We yeah. built us a, uh, a campfire on a, on a, on a, on in the a pasture, creek. on a creek somewhere. Oh, uh, gosh, that reminds me, Brad. Another, I got to tell the story. Oh, boy. This is when we were in college. You remember Wait, we were sitting Did on we the- talk about this story before we started this or not? No, we didn't. Okay, this is about the frogs. You remember this? You were doing agronomy at A&M, and I, was, I had just moved from Temple College to Southwest Texas, and you know, I think I'd just taken vertebrate physiology or, no, natural history of the vertebrates. Anyway, green tree frogs. Remember, we didn't grow up hearing green tree no, frogs. No, I remember very well green yeah, tree frogs. Was, yeah, they, we didn't have them here. It's like they started moving east when we were in the late 90s, 2000, or at least in the, they were probably east. They must have followed the hogs. <laughs> Something, maybe people turned them, no. But, but they did start, not start showing up in the black land until probably late 90s. We never heard them growing up. Me and you were sitting on the creek bank that time and then all of a sudden, you know, all the cricket frogs were always there on the on the gravel bars. Oh, those cricket frogs. But then all of a sudden, these frogs went out, wah, 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 wah. and Brad's like, what in the world is that? Chelsea, I was like, man, that's green tree frogs. Brad, I couldn't believe it. And you looked at me like, golly, Chess, I don't know what they're teaching you over there at Southwest Texas. It ain't, right. frogs don't climb frogs trees. Yeah, frogs don't climb trees. We spent a good portion that night looking for we sure things. did we went and tracked we rode around all evening long well not long we found them we did we kept we found those frogs and then got us curious and we started driving around finding them there we also found them over there um all by where your uncle used to That's live exactly. by north elm cemetery that on that old tank that, you you knew all the water sources yeah yes they sure were they were by a little old uh swampy little pond over there yeah and there, that tree was covered in them covered in them they were all over calling everywhere i'd have lost a bet with chancy that day yeah fro- have, frogs well, do climb trees <laughs> well, we didn't have internet to google it no sure so did chancy could have told me anything yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you see it on the internet you know it's true oh but nope. back then i mean man if chancy told it to me it was <laughs> it was gospel <laughs> yeah if he if, if he told me trees climb frogs well by god i guess trees climb frogs. yeah yeah, at least they did out Mara. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't but, know if they did in other parts of the state. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of trees out there to climb anyway. There except along the creek anyway. So, so good questions. How did they get that far without a tree to climb on? <laughs> Excellent question. I'm saying probably people brought them plotted plants and stuff like that as nurseries. You know, just not even know it. Some of the bigger stuff. You know, but uh, 
it's a great question. You well, know, it's kind of like a minnow. How yeah. does a minnow get into a tank? You know, hey, or perch, or you know, sunfish. Like you know, you can build a brand new tank. You know, and four years later, there's sunfish in it. There, you know, nature finds a way. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's amazing. Really, I it's wish, absolutely I wish awesome. Hogs wouldn't have found a way, but they did. <laughs> they sure did. And they're doing very well. They are doing. You'd find very a lot well. of people to argue with me, but yeah. Well, that's the one thing. Feral hogs, man. You know, what do we say about them? I, I, when I worked for A and M, that's all I dealt with was feral hogs, and they are the most loved exotic species on the planet earth you know and i'll say that a feral hog a feral hog i mean they're the they're the exotic invasive species that people love to hate but they also don't want to get all of them get rid of all of them you know that's true yeah, they, they, they don't nobody does you mentioned you mean yeah. i mean you got that they little, want to eradicate them <laughs> <laughs> you got that little picture in your head you know of like yeah. golly what if one day i did get some dogs again yeah inside i want to go out in the woods to hunt and there ain't no hogs left out there to hunt well you know it's just it's that, you it's, can't hog hunt anymore like we used to bradley that's no. the fragmented land and different landlords absentee landlords and a lot of people believe it or not they're not out there making money with their land farming it you know they're not you know, so hogs, a lot of them, you know, a lot of people that are absentee landlords like having hogs Wait. on, or they like having the opportunity to shoot a hog if they go out to their property. They you know? do. And they are good eating. They absolutely are good eating. I mean, I've, I've eaten them. They're great, you know, great to eat. But so that's then, an aspect of feral hogs that uh, all the other exotic species out there, you know, invasive species, they get such a bad name and everybody hates them just wants to kill well hogs are a little bit different you they know are, when it comes to it. Yeah. i mean yeah what other invasive species out there do people drive down from minnesota to pay people to kill you know exactly yeah and, so and people love i mean people do love to eat hogs like it's a oh, big yeah. deal in hawaii apparently mm-hmm. like, and we have people from Colleen come and hunt our land uh who are hawaiians by you know really uh, that's where they're native to and they'll come out and kill all these wild hogs, and they'll send them to Hawaii to their family. No kidding. But I guess they're get, becoming extinct over there. Really? Uh, or something, I guess. Maybe somebody in Hawaii is listening and can, yeah, can, can, what's, can send us What's the, the ecological factors affecting feral hogs in Hawaii? In Hawaii. Yeah. We, hey, we need to take a field Maybe trip. they ate them all, yeah. Maybe we can take a field trip there, Chancey. That'd yeah. be great. Hey, you know, I used to work with a biologist right out of college that she had a job. and She went over to Hawaii, and I want to say her job in the house made me goats are a big problem out there you know well the, it's an island species so a lot of those species even plants that are on that island are you know they're adapted to that island they're not found anywhere else in the world they're geographically isolated and so there's endangered species that are found nowhere else except in hawaii out there um you know which is why the brown tree snake is such a problem in guam and hawaii and all sure, the islands yeah. out there but anyway her job was like to fly helicopters i think and shoot feral goats you're joking i'm me. not she had a job well, a I goat think, hunter yeah goat hunter yeah yeah, Boy, there, evidently, evidently there was somewhere in Hawaii that had a loose, and like I said, this is just what I heard. This is what she told me. And they, you know, trying to get rid of the goats in certain areas of Hawaii. So. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Is that wide open still? I don't know. I've never been to Hawaii, but I'm, I imagine, you know, it's really thick brush, you know, if the goats are doing really well and they just, you know, people had brought them in years and years ago. And I guess there's some feral ones running around out there evidently. That is insane. Well, mm-hmm. There may the, not be any more, but that would have been in the early 2000s. Like she went and did an internship out there. How about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, back to uh, you know the things that 
that that me and Chancey, I guess, have done since high school. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had a dang good time in school, junior high, high school, all those days. Loved it. Wouldn't have grew up any other. Those were the good old days, and we didn't even know it. Didn't even know it, Chancey. Isn't that something? Yeah, the good old days, man. Now college days was pretty good. Oh, those were the great old days too. We didn't really know it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we didn't know much. No, we were we were learning, winging it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I went to A&M. Well, I take that back. Outside of high school, I went to Blinn and Brenham for for two years and really enjoyed that. Uh, went to Temple College for a year after that. Me and Chancey were in Temple College yes, together. Temple College together. Yeah, we yes. sure were. We were in yeah. Temple College together mm-hmm. uh, uh, for a year over there. And you went to Texas State. Yes, sir. And then I went on to A&M. Yeah. So during my time at A&M, I ended up getting a primary degree in agronomy, which is soil and crop sciences. Uh, growing up again on a farm and all that, you know, that was an interest that I had that was developed there. Ended up taking some animal science classes as as electives. Turns out that's pretty interesting too. So I ended up picking up a double major in, in those two things, and those were my college days, uh, along with going to San Marcos and spending some time with Chancy over yeah. there. Well, well, we used to burn Highway 21 up, didn't we? We did burn going, going from A and M to the, and we also had some buddies that went to. Oh, heck, Huntsville as well. So, yeah, we burned 21 up between San Marcos and A&M and, back then. And there were probably we? five cars on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I read somewhere they're turning that into a it was starting six, to, 10 lane road between San Marcos and, and Elgin. I, I believe it. It was starting to get dangerous in, you know, the early 2000s, you know. I mean, it was just people driving so fast on it. It was a, a dangerous road starting to get that way, and I can't imagine now. Well, you know, there are so many fatalities on 21 Right where 190 or whatever, you know how it is. I don't know the name of highways. Where that big highway crosses 21, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, you know, helicopters there from a wreck or something. Oh, it, oh it. Luckily, they put lights up there now. But it's Man. like it's a big highway, 190 or 290, one of those. I'm not sure. It crosses 21 there. And now it's 10 times the people there. Oh, yeah. Well, lots and lots more people. Lots and, of people. And College in. Station, too. I went to mm-hmm. school, I think, at A&M. It was 46,000 roughly in school there. Huh. I don't even know what it is now. I mean, I'd guess closer to probably 60 if I had to guess. Maybe so. Same with Southwest. I mean, I'm not sure. Like I said, back with me. Me, Brad, and I, we went to Temple College and then got our basics. After Temple College, there was only a handful of schools in the state that was offering degrees in wildlife biology, and I was fortunate enough to know that's exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, so I ended up going to Southwest Texas. I still call it Southwest Texas because it is Texas State now, it but is. that's oh, the school. It was the Southwest it was Texas South- podcast back then. It was, yeah. I was a Switzu, man, Bobcat all the way. I Which I'm there. a little bit bitter of because they changed the name my senior year, and I never will forget it. My senior year that I'd been there, all four years I was there, it was always Southwest Texas. They changed the name my senior year, and then they didn't give the seniors the opportunity or the, you know, or me at least. The, on your diploma. On diploma. says Texas State. And I'm like, you kidding me. I'm graduating from a gym that says Southwest Texas State University. The water, uh, the big old water uh, tower, tower still says yeah. Southwest Texas. All the, everything says, the school buses say Southwest Texas. and But they changed a piece of paper. So, yeah, my degree says Texas State University. They, they, shouldn't change, they shouldn't have changed the degrees until they changed the water tower. I think so. I agree. You know, at I least mean, something, but they did. The degree was the first thing they changed. And to me, I think they should have given the seniors the option. Well, you know? they should have given you, you know, you should have given you your education option. for free since your the university you went to didn't even exist anymore. Because <laughs> that's 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 yeah. breach of contract. 
for you sure. You didn't enroll in Texas State. You enrolled in Southwest Texas. That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, hey, let's go back and look at that, Chancey. There might have been some legal stuff there back then. Well, you know a good lawyer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know. Me either. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> what, what degrees did you get from there? My bachelor's was in wildlife biology, and then I went and I worked on, did some, a lot of work on ranches, helped help pay for a lot of my college doing internships, guiding deer, did a lot of guiding deer in South Texas Hill Country, also, um, in Iowa so that kind of made that was always in the fall so I would take off the fall and it helped me pay for spring so it took me a little bit longer to get through and then after I finished that I went back to Texas State and worked on my master's there as well where I studied primarily our oak trees down there in the Blackland Prairie I got fascinated with you know Durand oak the Quercus sinuata variety sinuata which is the the little shin oak type oak that grows yeah. in the Blacklands of Prairie kind of the only oak trees that we have in the Blackland versus where we grew up that, in that's County. true that, that, mm-hmm. that, there aren't many of them no and I was fascinated by them and you know part of that deer led me to it you know I mean I'm a, I love deer it's a deer and you know, I never will forget when I quit school, I went to work for Texas Parks and Wildlife as a biologist in Carnes and Wilson counties. And, you know, I was always thinking I was a deer guy. I was a deer guy. I was a deer guy. And, you know, everybody was calling, oh, yeah, that's Chancey. He's a plant guy. He's a plant guy. Well, I was like, well, I'll take that, too, because I like plants. But what made me a plant guy was because I would spend tons of time working on those ranches. I was fascinated what deer ate. So Absolutely. I'd go through their rumens, you know. they go right together. Yeah, I'd go right to their rumens. Well, yeah, I mean, it's all about soils, habitat. And so I would dig through a deer's rumen trying to figure out what he's been eating, you know. And I loved watching deer. Just watch them. You know, watch them walk from plant to plant and see what they eat. What species was that? What's a good deer food? What's a bad food? If there are good deer foods, how do you rank them, you know? And I loved going through deer guts and uh, seeing what they eat. And that helped me learn my plants very well and I didn't even realize you know I was learning them very well but you know it was secondary but then when I got in grad school I mean I started teaching for labs plant taxonomy and field biology of plants and next thing I know yeah I'm taking you know all the management big game management mammalogy and everything else that goes with it conservation of large mammals and plants are everything if you don't know what the animals are eating then who are you to manage it now, just it, it, it boils down to that so now Chancey <laughs> may say that that's what led him to be interested in plants but I'm going to tell you all what had a chance to be interested in plants was Miss Johnson's. Oh, yes, Miss Johnson. Uh, what bless was her that, heart. plant identification or range? Land? It was range. It was an ag, FFA. Yeah, it was a contest. Ag. It was a contest, and we did that, and I did public speaking with her as well. Yeah. You know, for that four years, Miss Johnson, man, from Thorndale, bless her heart, she really did. She taught us our range grasses. Yeah, so me yeah. and Chancey, we were senior year. Yeah, it was her senior year. Yeah, she was a student teacher. Yeah, at, at, she was. She had gone to Tarleton State. She did. Yeah. Uh, Becky Johnson was her name. Yeah. And so we go to the contest. Yeah. And it's our it's our senior year. Yeah. My chancy senior year. You could say we studied for it. You could say that. You, we didn't put in the effort that we should have really I mean, put she, into she it. She put a lot of effort. She did. Into it. She did. She did. And and it was new to us. And uh and so we we didn't do we didn't get first place, I I should say, at the at the event that we went to. Yeah. And we felt knee high to a grasshopper. Sure did. But sure Chancey, did. did you buy her a sympathy card? You remember you bought her a card. <laughs> I don't. Like, Chancey felt. I did feel bad because I felt so like bad. we had really let her you down. Did. I, I did. I felt that. like we had really let her down because of. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that I also learned, too. We're really learning those plants on slides, you know. We were, And when yeah. you go to look at them in the field. They're way different. They look way, way different. But you got to give it to her. It wasn't her fault. You no, know, it wasn't 
wasn't her fault at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were learning. And that, you know what? That's how a lot of universities still teach today. They go off herbariums. And unless you have a field biology class where they take you and say, okay, you can learn what that plant looks like on a slide pressed in paper all day long. And you're really not memorizing the characteristics exactly, that makes the plant. You, you can't memorize. see half of them. No, because you can't see the combs. Or you can't see the combs. Can't see if they got hairs on the ligules or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, when you see that plant in the wild and you have an expert tell you this is this and this is what that because of this and this is how you can identify it and then you know when you really have to identify them going through a deer's gut you, you, you learn them but that's, that's yeah. a good way to learn a plant yes it is because yeah, you got a little teeny tiny piece of it that you have to go by it's like okay there's a leaflet off of some lagoon what is that but back to miss johnson uh we do owe her and mr hanky a lot they were they were absolutely huge impacts. Mr. Tomasic. Mr. Tomasic, absolutely. And Mr. Bishop. Mr. Bishop. We had a lot of ag teachers. Good ag teachers, yeah, man. We did. We did. And I, 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 there's not a doubt in my mind I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for those ag, ag teachers. Oh, man. At, at not how, a doubt in my mind. How they put up with us? <laughs> I don't know, but they were some good, good individuals. And we were very fortunate to have a student teacher like Ms. Johnson. She, she was passionate. She knew her stuff, and she cared about she us. She did. She did. She cared, you know, that we do well. And so that was part of me. After that, she got me into public speaking. I went on, and I think I won area for public speaking. It was over wildlife stuff. And I we remember. went on to state, and I think I got second at state. I remember yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just remember that bus ride home from that contest. Yeah, it was. It was like it was like it was like leaving a, a playoff football game or something that you've lost. It really was. I mean, man, me and it was me, you, and Brian, wasn't it? Yeah, me, you, and Kopchiva. He's my brother-in-law now. Yeah, and uh, it was us on the team, and 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 man. Chancey was laying in the back seat back there, uh, uh, half asleep, and and I felt bad, and Brian felt bad, yeah. and uh, uh, and and not a word was said. I don't think on the way home. Yeah, because I mean we didn't get last, but we did not do good. And I'm like, we so, so there's three smart people here. We're all farm boys and country boys. Yeah, you know we hey. ought to be able to identify these grasses out hey, here. You sounds know, sounds like two people that should do a podcast. <laughs> at least something. <laughs> they ought to be able to BS their way through it at least. <laughs> God, dog. Uh, uh, so since then, since then, I've gone on to uh, uh, work at and work with cattle and nu uh, animal nutrition at the Animal Nutrition Center at Texas A&M for a while. I worked with a, a research lab with uh, uh, Dr. Shannon Glazer from uh, from Rogers and and other researchers at, at at a cancer research lab, or or the, we did liver research is what we did. Uh, cholangiocarcinoma, which is a type of liver cancer, uh, liver cirrhosis, that type of thing. We we did research on that. Uh, worked there for several years, and at that time, I don't know if you remember, but diesel hit like five dollars a gallon. I don't remember what yeah. year that was. Were you still driving that red? I was driving <laughs> driving a diesel truck back yeah. and forth, and and it, it, everything got really expensive. And and uh, and a research lab technician, they really want you to get a master's and work your way up to a PhD there. That's how you kind of carry on in that job, but you but you can't do it without the degree promotions. And I like the farm and ranch, and I like all that kind of stuff. So I didn't see that I could devote like a whole whole lifetime to that, I guess, at the time. And so went on from that to, to start teaching at high school here, back when me and Chansey went to high school. And I'm still teaching there. I don't know how many years that's been. It's been a lot. I know the students love you. I oh, know, yeah, man. man. I, that's a job you can't leave. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we still farm and ranch. Uh, we grow row crops outside of Cameron in the Blackland Prairie over there. Uh, and we've got, we run cattle and stuff. Uh, also own a feed store now, farm and ranch store in Cameron, known as Cameron Farm and Ranch Company. Which is hosting this Wait, this Great is me podcast. and Chancey recording that today. Yeah, right now. Uh, my wife, Terry, she's my high school sweetheart. Married her back in the day. 
And we've got a producer here, Miss Producer, producer IT. Yep. Yeah. Head of IT. Yeah, that's my girl there. Uh, <laughs> me and Chansey don't have a clue how to run a computer. Uh, well, Chansey's better at it than I am. Uh, since then, I've, we, I've got three good kids working four or five fantastic jobs that I enjoy doing. <laughs> and I'm really glad to be here with y'all. But, uh, but, but Chansey's story is every bit as interesting as mine. Yeah, well, to start off, um, yeah, Brad, I just... <laughs> Had a shout out to you, man, for teaching and how much the kids love you. I mean, you are so well liked in this community. It's great, great that we, we're lucky to have you. Well, I appreciate that, Chance. Yeah. There ain't no job like that. No. Yeah, yeah. And you, you go there every day, and you're like, okay, I used to be that guy. Yeah. You know, calm down, Brad. Yeah. Chemistry be... of all things, Mr. Schwartz. He was a he helped me a lot my senior years. Oh man, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Schwartz. We have Ms. Did. Schwartz. We have Ms. Lafferty. Yeah, Ms. Lafferty. Good. Ms. Lafferty still, still teaching. there. Yeah, she's still teaching yeah. there. She's half a day now, but, but, I, but I work right alongside of her. Yeah, that's great. She was good, too. I remember I took her a bunch of baby beavers one time. I caught a big old beaver and took took the baby. She was about there. She was about to pop a big female. I caught her. She had four kits in her. I took her and put them in. Oh, I don't know. I don't even think it was formaldehyde. It must have been probably rubbing alcohol. I took them to her, and I think hey, they sounds, end up getting nasty. Sounds sanitary. Yeah. yeah. We had them in a big old pickle jar. Anyway, <laughs> I, don't know, I know she ended up. a lot of animals, didn't you? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, if you don't know Chance. <laughs> he is not scared to grab any animal, any animal. by the tail. <laughs> I, I, we used to ride around back roads, and every rattlesnake we saw. Okay, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm not a snake guy. I do not like anything about a rattlesnake, <laughs> especially anything that anything that that could bite me worse than I could bite them. Yeah, I'm not a fan of. And uh, and Chancy, we had dog boxes in the back of his truck. Yeah, uh, where he'd haul his haul haul Flacco and Lacey in, <laughs> and and we'd ride around the back roads, and Chancy would fill his dog boxes with rattlesnakes. Yeah, one night we caught seventeen rattlesnakes. It was a hot, windy night in November. Not hot. dead ones, not dead rattlesnakes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. We didn't kill them. No, no, he didn't kill them. <laughs> no. no, he did not kill them. No, we carried snake catcher in the back of the truck. I held know? a flashlight. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Safely from a safe distance. Yeah, and watched Chancy grab rattlesnakes by the tail. Yeah, well, I didn't grab them by the tail. Uh, we had snake catchers. We used them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> They're too fast. I used to be that fast, but I, I'm not that fast anymore. I don't even know if you had snake boots. <laughs> no, I don't. I, no, I'm pretty sure I didn't have that. You probably but. had a pretty good pair of Reeboks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. A long stick. Yes. But <laughs> well, what all else you been doing since then? Well, since then, so like I said, I ended up going back to school and working on my master's on trees. And I guess that really brought in my mind to where I really got to really thinking of the system level, ecosystem type level. I still love deer, and to this day, I consider myself a range and wildlife guy. You know, that's what I am. I love range, but I really love bottomland hardwood management, native prairie management, quail, turkey, and deer, you know, in Texas. That's really what got me going, but working with those animals really made me start looking at the ecosystems. Uh, so, like I said, I Right out of college, I worked for Texas Parks and Wildlife as a biologist for them. Loved the job, had great people, made great contacts. But it's one of those things, you know, that I was like, you know, I just wanted more. And I was I was young and wanting to learn and just wanted to just eat up as much as I could. And I wanted to travel and see places. So, you know, I went and um, I, met, I set a goal. I said, when I quit Texas Parks and Wildlife, I was like, I'm going to go travel. I'm going to guide. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to work every odd and end job I can as a biologist, just doing field work. You I know? remember when you were doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, and I was living out of, out of a hotel and in my truck. So, I was able to save money. My goal when I was wanting to save $50,000. That's what I was like. If I just leave five years there, I ought to be able to make save $10,000 a year. That was my goal because I wanted to own land. I wanted to own land and apply what I'd learned to, to really do stuff. So, I mean, I worked on the border fence in 2008 and we 
walked or rode a four-wheeler from Yuma, Arizona, all the way to uh, El Paso, Texas. No, fast. you did not. Yes, I could tell you that's several podcasts right there. No, Good. Worked in oh. Nogales, Douglas, you name it, seen it all, man. Um, and it was a great experience for me because it's the first time in my professional life that I had an, a realization that just because – I had heard something and been taught it by academia doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Sure. That was the first time that that was a slap in the face, you know, because there was so much stuff going on about the ecological problems with the border fence and that's everything going on. That was on. already going on then. Yeah, already going on then. Um, and then just just so much of the uh, information that was just misinformation. Like, And I don't know if it was accidental or not, but it was, either way, it was information that was wrong. But anyway, it went on to do that, and I worked, and then I bounced around to Louisiana, East Texas, working in endangered species, Iowa every year, then went to work for A&M. As an extension system. That's right. That's you did. What, yeah, I went you did to, a lot with wild hogs back then. I was, yeah, that was my main job. Dr. Kathy uh, was my main boss. And that was when I went back and worked on my master's there. Because I was in Hayes and Caldwell County. We were dealing with water quality uh, issues. Like, okay, we got a, a watershed, Plum Creek. That's, uh, you know, it's impaired. E. coli. Well, how do we clean it up? How do we clean up on a watershed type level? And I was to work with the landowners and the feral hogs. And then after that, um, let's see, after that, you know, I worked. Basically, right after that, I decided to kind of, I guess it was about 2011, to strike out on my own. You know, I remember that. Oil and gas was booming then. They needed threatened endangered species service. I had lots of uh, lots of experience there. And I guess since 2011, I've started Native Texas Wildlife. And um, Oh, you've yeah, had it that long already? Yeah, I farmed it in 2011. You know, and I subcontracted for years and years and years through various mining companies and oil and gas companies, just doing threatening endangered species stuff, wetland stuff, lots of that. But then all that, at the same time, I've always just done wildlife management plans, you know, on my side for landowners on the side, you know. Then in, I think, 2013 or 14, I bought a native grass drill and, you know, been doing that kind of stuff. And I've been doing that for last, you know, since 2011. And knock on wood, been very blessed with it. You know, I hadn't gone bankrupt or broke. And hey, that's got, all you, you know, can ask for. Yeah, and that's right. So uh, things have been going well. Like I said, I'm very blessed. Got a family now with um, four kids, and so things are great, man. I'm doing very well, better than I deserve, actually. If, very blessed. If anybody mm -hmm. comes in the feed store and they've got a wildlife question, Chance he's <laughs> the guy that I call. Yeah, he, he knows anything you could think of about managing any kind of wildlife or, or trees or grasses or any of that kind of stuff. Well, Chance the, he's the guy. Well, the good thing about it is if I – and I don't know. Thank you for the kudos, Brad. But the truth is, you know, every single day I see plants on my property that I don't know. They weren't there last year. They weren't there the year before. And so I don't know. But the good thing is I have the resource and through the contacts that I've made, I never burn any bridges. I still have good friends from Which the guys from Parks important. and Wildlife for A&M. And so I have the resources that if I don't know, you know, I'm usually a phone call or an email away to a buddy that I've worked with that's a friend that does know the answer, you know, that's still involved with academia, whether it be A&M or southwest i mean i still talk to dr lemke all the time who was my plant professor at southwest texas you know brilliant guy you know and i still get plant questions all the time and i don't know and i can't key it out and i can't figure out well i guess what i sent it to dr lemke you know so that's that's just part of it hey like they always say it ain't what you know it's who you know yeah if you know people like like people are an invaluable resource oh man yeah good people they're blessings they really are i mean i'm not gonna pretend that I know everything there is to know about farming or ranching or, or wildlife or any of that kind of stuff. But on this show, here's what we kind of hope to do for you. We kind of hope to 
to share with you a little bit what we've learned over the years, uh, whether it be with wildlife, which what we kind of brushed on today, or, or, or farming and ranching, raising cattle, you know, raising crops, different types of yard stuff when it's that time of the year, gardening, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And then how they mingle, you know, how is raising cattle and, you know, fit in with the natural resource and watershed management and wildlife management. You know, they go hand in hand together, cattle, farming, all of it. And everybody's got to get along with it. Yes, everybody does. We all have to work together. Like Chancey talked about earlier with the wild hogs, uh, I mean, as a farmer, you want zero wild hogs. Yes. But the person who owns the place across the fence from you. Yeah. That may, bought that for hunting. Yeah. He, he may, wants many wild hogs. Yeah. He sees things different. Y'all have different goals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like me and Ch- Chancey's, Chancey is like probably pro wild hog in, in a sense. And, I and, wouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. Uh, I spent it, a big portion of my career trying to figure out how to kill them efficiently. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we still don't have a way to do that. No, we don't. Uh, that, but that's probably 10 episodes in itself yeah. right there. Uh, but, uh, uh, but that's kind of what we hope to bring you with this. You know, to let you be part of our show, we hope to maybe eventually if we can figure out how to work computers a little better we could do call-ins sure of, uh, with and chat with some people that we know or or bring some people in uh, uh guest host kind of thing and, and and it's what we like to do is maybe answer like a listener's question no that'd be great mm-hmm. you know and and kind of tell you what you need to be doing around your place given the time of the year or something sure uh, uh depending on what you know what's going on like for instance right now this time of the year big deer season big deer time of the year uh, of course, every month is hog time of the year. Yeah, farming not a lot going on. Everybody's got their wheat in the ground; it's growing. Not a so, lot of farming going on in wintertime. People putting out in ammonia, that type of thing, maybe. Uh, but again, that'll all be episodes that we'll cover. Yeah, I think what we'll do is, you know, land donor and you know, people feedback is absolutely key to you know because sure. we're going to feed off of each other. But what I see us doing too is, you know, every month and every season and try, what's going on in the deer woods or what's going on in the farm right now and try to have episodes and kind of tweak it to what, what you need to be doing on your property based on the season of the timing of the year, you know. So at different times of the year, those management practices change from season to season and month to month. And oh, so man, we right try to address, address that as the months go by. And we'll do our best to keep it statewide i mean nationwide as much as yeah, we can we can we, we know our area yes we do you know we know our area and like i said we'll definitely try to keep it statewide and you know a lot of the stuff that's applicable in east texas is applicable even in the hill country you know some things soils are so big part but you know farming wise food plot wise you know it's all about a mountain timing a rainfall sure. so you know as long as you tweak it with your rainfall and your mounts and stuff you know i think that people will be able to get stuff whether you live in the hill country or in east texas or in south texas or even in the you know the rolling plains uh, i think you know they'll get some benefit from this podcast sure and, mm-hmm. and i mean a deer is a ruminant no matter what state absolutely in. a deer is a deer is a deer yeah. you know it doesn't change a whole lot uh, i wrote management plans for mississippi and i didn't change them much from you know writing the ones that i write for south texas you know just look at things a little differently but a white-tailed deer is a white-tailed deer yep it sure is and and you know we had a whole another topic planned to do for half of this show Yes. We were going to have a 20-minute show. <laughs> I don't know, uh, Miss Producer, can you tell us how long it's... Oh, it's been 46 minutes 40, already. Golly, time flies when you're having fun. God it? But we don't get... Every time I come in the feed store, you know, it's like a, like a reunion. Yes, it is kind of like know? a reunion. <laughs> sure is. Every time we get together, it ends up being at least an hour conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll have to bump back what we were going to talk about on the second half of this podcast. But we can lead week. to it, you know, and let guys know kind so of tell where we're... So tell us what we're going to do next week. Well, I'm thinking, you know, right now it is December, you know, and now that... So deer is on everybody's mind right now. 
So what's the main thing people are doing right now as far as deer goes? Well, they're hunting them. So, you know, let's just talk about hunting deer, you know, and like basically harvest strategy, harvest strategy, basically, because in the pigeonhole of, uh, if you want to call quality deer management, I hate to use that word because so many people hunt deer for different reasons, you know, whether it be food source, whether it be for trophy, whether they just want to see more deer or better deer, bigger deer, but in the pigeonhole of trying to encompass everything for this talk i think we'd look at it from a standpoint okay most people i talk to they want to see more deer when they hunt particularly more bucks and particularly bigger bucks sure so i think we ought to look on there and how can we for food as much as no it used to be it used to be more people were like i don't care can't eat antlers you know and i totally understand that you know they used to be that way you're dang right Mm -hmm. and you know but the fact of the matter is texas has become a pay-to-play game now i mean Big whitetail deer hunting is big business in Texas. Oh yeah, tell big me business. that. I want a feed store. Yeah, yes. you get. I mean, it's a lot of people that really care. Yes. about deer. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, I remember back growing up, our neighbors mm-hmm. used to maybe shoot a deer, possibly yes. a year or so, and they would have a smoker in the yeah, backyard. Yeah, it was to make sausage make out of. Sa- you know, if they had antlers. I think they probably just kind of chunked them by a barn or yeah, something. Yeah, that know? was that was been, you know some of the only magazines out there for even mention that stuff was for a fishing game and also field and stream. You know, there wasn't no Texas trophy hunters back. You oh, know, there was nothing. I mean, there was, but most of the landowners weren't a thing. But I think you know where we would go with this next one. It's like um, I have been very, very, very fortunate and blessed to work on some incredible deer ranches and then not only that be able to study deer from year to year to year to year then like i said and work underneath some incredibly talented white-tailed deer biologists some that i believe are no doubt in my mind the best in the state you know i picked that up a lot from i learned i learned a lot of stuff because i worked underneath some brilliant people and then having being blessed enough to be able to work on properties year after year after year after year and watch it deer go from a fawn all the way to eight plus year old deer sure or you know seven whenever you decide to harvest them i've really learned i learned a lot about deer and so i hope to bring a lot of that experience with y'all because there are certain things you know that when it comes to deer hunting and strategies to try to kill you know more or see more or grow more it's the little things that really make the difference it oh, really I mean, is it's I the mean, little things and those little things are stuff sometimes i think i can bring to the table because you know i've experienced it and been blessed and fortunate enough to 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 live it there, there's so much more to it than filling a corn feeder yes up in, in, in september yes there and, really is especially if you're wanting to see more bucks there's ways to feed differently where you will see more deer because mm-hmm. what in iowa didn't you tell me you can't even put a feeder out up there no no not unless you are on a game preserve and you are behind and basically you buy them from the state and they become livestock you know they, they kind of manage them like livestock but you can't feed you can't in east texas you know not so excuse me you can't in, east, in texas but like in the eastern united states there's lots of places in the southeast that you, you know, can't bait deer yeah and they just or if they or if you can they frown on it you know it's just not it's not socially accepted yet up there but you know what everybody's got different you know in the midwest we couldn't feed corn you couldn't hunt under a corn feeder but they were totally okay with taking a five acre block of woods up there you know deer really do yard what they call in the winter times deer will go to blocks of timber and they call it yard and there's very few blocks of timber there there is in the midwest and so usually if there's a block of timber but they they didn't it was an ethical issue and i'm not knocking everybody's got their own way but i'm just saying how things were you know it was an ethical issue you to hunt over corn but it was totally okay 
to run, you know, 10 hunters through that five acre block of woods and run at every single deer in that block of woods and have shotguns meet them on the other side. And every single deer got shot no that run out of those woods. Kidding. Yeah, that's just, you know, they drive them. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's not how they hunt everything in a longbow, but that's a form of hunting up there. So it's just, to me, we've got plenty of white-tailed deer. There was plenty years ago. There's going to be plenty when we're long gone and dead. So, you know, whatever socially acceptable and culturally acceptable in the way you hunt, you know, like in parts of East Texas and parts of Louisiana, they were still love to run deer with dogs and, and what the law allows yeah what the law allows yeah. and i mean i'm totally fine with that you know i don't have any problem with anybody you know running a deer behind a pack of hounds but some people do you know it's just what you're the what, way you grew up and raised actually pretty much it is yep yeah they'd probably think we're crazy hunting by little deal that spits corn out of oh it. yeah absolutely but and you know bow hunters have their same you know they Kudos to, and that's also too. I I've been fortunate to do a lot that I hope to even help not just the gun hunters but the bow hunters too. You know, just you know, they bow hunting is a a totally different challenge. You know, all together, not only do you have to get within range, you know, to shoot it with a bow, then then you've got to pull back on him. You, you know, so lot. it's a, a you know, it's a game changer. So yeah, especially it's not like shooting a cow. White-tailed deer is very well adapted to be aware of its surroundings. So you know, bow hunters, kudos to them. You know, I mean, they they have to up their game quite a bit in order to not only get close enough but also to pull back so uh, absolutely yeah yeah but well i guess being so we plan on this being 25 30 minutes long and we're twice as long as that now we better about wrap this up we man. do and now like i said it's just hard but in the meantime talking to y'all i'll be like yeah we'll try to do you know a topic each segment and try to keep it in that 20 30 minute segment and do our best to keep it real to, to, to finish with i just want to thank everybody listen Likewise. you're the reason we did it uh i mean me and chancy get together and we've been getting together and talking for decades and decades now and and uh, always enjoy our conversations and we hope you do too likewise really enjoyed it brad but uh, hey until next week guys i hope y'all have a, a wonderful week and and uh and thank you again yep